With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's Light the Tower, your daily look around the world of sports. With Hall of Fame broadcaster and voice of the Texas Longhorns, Craig Way. And Horns 24-7 insider, Jeff Howe. On your live, local, and independent home for sports talk in Austin, the Horn. Light it up on a Friday, Friday edition of Light the Tower on the Horn. We are live, local and digital. On the Horn app at hornfm.com, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, we thank you so much for being a part of today's presentation. I am Jeff Howe, horns247.com, so you can find my work and that of my colleagues, Mike Roach and Hudson Standish, the best recruiting coverage in the Texas market from those guys. Chip Brown with that morning brew column. The Insider was posted yesterday. A little feature on Cedric Baxter. A little baseball availability today that I'll be going to over at the Dish. Baseball getting ready to start. Got a massive basketball game this weekend. We'll talk about all that. You can find it at Horns 24-7, and we'll be talking about it here on the show today at Jeff Howe 247 uh, if you want to follow me on Twitter. It's not all that interesting, but uh, a lot of the 24-7 sports rankings update that came down yesterday, the final rankings update, of the 2023 cycle is in the books, and uh, a lot of that's on my Twitter. I'm, I'm more of a, a retweeter, as Rod Babers would describe me, so uh, you can get uh, over to my Twitter feed and check all that out. But we'll be talking about some of that today. At some point during the show, uh, Mike Roach, recruiting editor at Horns 24-7, will join us. Not sure when. Uh, trying to text with Mike and get that sorted out right now. Uh, so Michael should join us at some point. Got, uh, he'll be one Longhorn Notebook, whichever one he's not a part of. We'll do some Longhorn football on the other one. Got some audio coming up this hour and at the top of hour two. Uh, inconceivable also coming up to close out hour number one. Uh, in the, it is Friday, so that means we'll go to the most flaccid state in the lower 48, grab that low-hanging fruit from the state of Florida on a Friday. And uh, talk some NFL playoffs, some championship games, whatever else we can get into. Craig, not here today. It's a travel day for the voice of the Longhorns. He should be en route right now to the airport, getting ready to fly out to head to Knoxville for that massive basketball game coming up tomorrow. It's 10th-ranked Texas at 4th-ranked Tennessee. Get you on the air at 4.30 for the pregame 5 o'clock tip from Thompson Bowling Arena in Knoxville. Rodney Terry going to face Rick Barnes. Uh, we'll talk. We'll actually hear some some Rodney Terry talking about his relationship with Rick Barnes coming up in just a minute. But Craig, not here today. You will get your Craig Way fix though, and bringing you your Craig Way fix. He was in charge of chopping up the audio. Uh, our man behind the glass doing a great job this week as our new producer of the show. He is Cameron Parker. Cam, I was trying to think the other day uh, when we first met, and you were a student journalist at the uh, down on the Forty Acres. Was that the Tom Herman era, or was Charlie Strong? coaching at that point it was a tom herman era okay okay i couldn't remember if you went back to to the chuck strong days or not what was your first year being around the 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 team first year on the football beat was uh my junior year at ut so it would have been uh not the year before the lsu year so the the georgia so the sugar bowl year yeah okay you probably thought man this is great i get to go to new year's six bowls and all kinds of stuff and then well, freshman year was the Charlie Strong win over Notre Dame. Texas is back, folks. No. Listen, man, there's never been a, a stranger dichotomy to the start of a season where you beat a top 10 team and then to the end of the season where the coach is fired less than 24 hours after the game is over and the new guy's hired. Just an odd an odd, odd duck that 20, 2016 season was. I don't think any Texas students have had sustained success since the Colt McCoy 
years. No oh. student has oh. been had four good years of Texas football. You could argue probably the Tom Herman four years because it was an upward trajectory starting from the, the Texas Bowl to the Sugar Alamo. Bowl. Was it the second year of Sugar Bowl? Sugar Bowl. Then Alamo Bowl. So three years. I mean, the Utah win, you thought after that, Texas was going to be back again for the seventh time. But uh, it, it's been a tough it's been a tough period for Texas football as a student to really enjoy it. Now, fortunately, there's other sports on the 40 acres that have been kicking butt the yeah. last decade. Just don't have the same support as Texas football does. Volleyball, baseball, basketball, women's basketball, men's basketball at times. Just got to gotta sustain a little bit in football. But I, I, maybe Texas will get there, and uh, whichever Longhorn Notebook Mike Roach is not a part of. Actually, Mike just texted me 1030, so bottom of the hour, Mike will be on with us. So at 1130, we'll get into some roster-building stuff. I do want to touch on that. Specs text line is open, 337-3776, uh, if you want to talk uh Pretty much anything. We're we're kind of an open book on uh, on Friday here, on Light the Tower. Uh, yeah, that text is for Zay right there. Purple Buffaloes, Daddy. Good luck to my Cougs tonight against Marble Falls. Also, Gerald. Does that say Gerald is better than Florida? No, that's uh, no, no. Purple Buffaloes, Daddy. You're you're not right. So. Um, by the way, thank you for getting that Morse code text in early on the show today. John of the Bay wants to know, uh, is this Cam's first flaccid Friday? Yeah, it is. Uh, we get flaccid here on Light the Tower on Friday, going to the Sunshine State and grabbing that low-hanging fruit. So, mm. uh, moving Alden, uh, he had four consistent years of good football at Texas because he graduated in 09. Moving Alden was there for like the the prime years uh, of Mac Brown, like coming right coming off a national championship and – Going to play for another one in 09? No, those were the days. Uh, this texture said, what, 4-0 in bowls as a student. Unfortunately, it was during the Herman era. So, ain't, not, hey, ain't nothing wrong with, with winning a bowl game. Just uh, wish it was somewhere other than San Antonio. No disrespect to those of you who love the Alamo City, which I'm going to be. Cam, you 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 pro wrestling fan at all? Or for, at any time in your life, have you been interested in that product? What product? Professional wrestling. No, okay. I just have never gotten into it. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. I'm going to the Royal Rumble uh, tomorrow, so I'll be down in San Antonio at the Alamo Dome. I, I, for whatever reason, I have to make one visit a year to the Alamo Dome, so uh, it'll be tomorrow for the Royal Rumble. We'll take your text on the Specs text line, whatever you want to talk about. Also got some miscellaneous things I want to hit on. But right now, uh, if you need your Craig Way fix, we'll get you uh, that right now. Rodney Terry, Longhorn Weekly with Rodney Terry was last night. Pluckers West Campus is where they record that. Cameron, are you involved in the in Longhorn Weekly or no? I've been involved for the last two years. Okay, nice. Wasn't uh, involved last night. Uh, Passed it off to Mr. Jack Farrell, but yeah. Go. It's a nice big, nice production they got over there at the Pluckers West Campus. Cameron, I imagine you frequented Pluckers West Campus in your days oh, yeah. as a student. I still floor. have the five free wing coupons dating back to 2018 that sometimes I try and sneak in at the Pluckers waiter, but, you know, they're like, hey, dude, this is seven years old. It's like, oh, dang, Mara. I didn't know. I didn't realize those things had an expiration date. I think, yeah, they do. They expire at the end of the year, but I have them dating back to Shaka Smart. Charlie Strong, dude. I think if I I've changed cars since then, but you know you just move stuff from one vehicle to the next. I bet if I looked hard enough, either in my car or in that box in the garage where car stuff goes, I bet you there's a Pluckers Five Wings coupon from the Rick Barnes era. I bet you I've got one of those wow. still laying around. Yeah, it's uh, it's how long Pluckers been doing that. Ain't nothing wrong with five free wings. Uh, you could have gotten wings and a conversation with Craig and Rodney Terry last night. And one of the topics they touched on, Rodney Terry's relationship with Rick Barnes. You're going to hear some details in this audio that I didn't know. It's some fascinating stuff. So here it is. And, again, we'll get to some more audio coming up in hour number two from the conversation. But this is uh, Craig and Rodney Terry talking about RT's relationship with Rick Barnes. So you get ready for the Tennessee Volunteers. But like you said, First of all, before we even talk about this, the big, the SEC Big 12 Challenge has it. It's been really good. I asked you about this on the post game the other night about uh, how do you view it in the prism? It happens in the middle of the conference season. You're almost at the exact numerical midway point of the conference season. You step out of conference, but you get a high-caliber opponent, and you have to play that high-caliber opponent on the road, then come back two days later and get back to work at home back in conference play. But how about your thoughts overall about this well it's a great opportunity for us i mean uh, we get a chance to step out and uh, play one of the elite programs in the country um the, the best defensive team in the country right now and uh um you know it's it's a it's a great opportunity for us to try to continue to build an ncaa uh tournament resume there's the uh additional wrinkle to this obviously uh the head coach of the tennessee volunteers 
is the all-time winningest head coach in Texas program history, as we know. Rick Barnes went 402 and 180 during 17 seasons, a four-time Big 12 Coach of the Year, a five-time NABC District 9 Coach of the Year, 16 NCAA tournament appearances, five Sweet 16s, three Elite Eights, and the Final Four. And uh, and I know he means an awful lot to you. I mean, you, you, tell folks a little bit how it came to be that you even you know wound up on Coach Barnes' staff and the relationship that followed. Well, um, I guess it's, it's kind of started, I guess it, uh, my name came up with Coach when I was coaching at Baylor University. Harry Miller told him that, uh, hey, if you're ever looking for a guy at some point, I got a really good young guy that you should, uh, you should show some interest in. And uh, um, actually, the first time Rick and I got a chance to talk about a possibility of working together, um, I, didn't take the I didn't take the opportunity. And uh, because the timing wasn't good uh, and uh, it just didn't work out that particular time. But the next time around, I had an opportunity to uh, <clears throat> to work with Coach. Um, I almost took the job at Oklahoma, and uh, and Calvin Sampson offered me a, uh, an assistant job. And Frank Hayden at the time said, "Rodney, if you take that job, you're never going to get a chance to work at Texas." And I was like, "He's like, just trust me. There's going to be an opportunity for you." And uh, I said, "Okay, well, I'm, I'm going to hang on and see what happens here." And you know, uh, sure enough, the opportunity presented itself, and uh, uh, stick. Uh, you know, Rick ended up hiring me as an assistant. I had no idea that Kelvin Sampson had offered Rodney Terry a job. And shout out to Frank Haith for convincing Rodney Terry to take that gig at Texas. Uh, RT was pretty instrumental in helping Texas get to the Final Four. I can't believe this spring, it's 20 years since that Final Four. Cameron, what year were you born? 97. You were born in 97. So you you have very little, if any, memory of Texas going Zero. to the Final Four in 2003, getting knocked out by Carmelo Anthony in the national semifinals. Uh, that we'll talk about that. I, I'll I'll share some memories from that today because this matchup with Rick Barnes. It's uh, you have to mention the Final Four when you talk about Rick's tenure. All the things that got done at Texas while he was here. That was really the watershed moment. Really put Texas on the map uh, as a as a basketball program that was national championship caliber. They showed hey they can get to a Final Four. They can be a national contender. They were they were the number one overall seed in the tournament that year. Uh, it was a really good year for the Big Twelve. But uh, that Final Four year was special. And uh, if not not for Frank Haith, Rodney Terry would not have been a part of it and wouldn't be in a position to you know, take a pay cut from the head coaching position at UTEP to come back and be on Chris Beard's staff, and now he's the interim head coach. Uh, he had an availability yesterday, uh, and I was on with Chad and Zay while that was going on, but had a chance to go back and listen to it. Uh, he said he and Coach Barnes, the, the first time they talked since he got into the role first as acting head coach and now as full-on interim head coach, said right after the Rice game, they talked. And he said they talk a lot, and they've remained close. And, uh, you know, I know Rick Barnes is still close with a lot of people in Austin. So it's going to be a really special. It was really special last year for the last year of the Irwin Center for Rick Barnes to come back and coach one more game at the drum. And it's going to be special tomorrow night with Rodney Terry uh, being on the opposite sideline as the interim head coach at Texas going against Rick Barnes. Cameron, you got any thoughts on, on the basketball game, the game itself tomorrow? We'll get into more kind of the nitty-gritty with Tennessee coming up uh, in the next hour. But I was on with Chad and Zay yesterday, and you know we kind of went through keys to the game. And for me, for Texas, I think it's real simple. Uh, minimize your turnovers because when Texas has had high turnover games, that's when they've gotten themselves in trouble. And two, and, and plus when you're on the road and live ball turnovers and you give a chance – uh, especially a team like Tennessee, that a, a lot of their offense is generated off their defense, those live ball turnovers, turn into run-out buckets. Uh, you, you don't want to give Tennessee too many of those, and then th that crowd's going to be charged up anyway, so you minimize those. And I think the other thing, too, eliminating those multi-minute stretches without a field goal. I mean, if you go back and look at the Iowa State game last time, and, and really the first time this year Texas has played a true road game, because let's face it, like going to Norman on New Year's Eve, and going to Hilton Coliseum in the middle of the the, the the conference schedule, two totally different animals. And one of the if you boil down why did they lose the Iowa State game, probably because in a forty minute game they went about seventeen minutes of clock time with the first half stretch and the second half stretch without making a field goal. That's what it boils down to. You can't have those kind of stretches. And Tennessee's good enough defensively to make you have those kind of stretches. So I don't know where you're at, Cam, but that's that's my two things I'm looking for tomorrow night. I'm excited to see how Rodney Terry's handles tomorrow's game because we, we've seen Texas beat a top-five team, but Chris Beard is a head coach, mm -hmm. right, at home in a great environment against a Gonzaga team that has gotten 
a lot better than it was at the beginning of the season. Now we see how Rodney Terry handles it against a top five team, the number four team in the country, number two in Ken Palm, number two in the net rankings. This is a really good Tennessee team. It's a Rick Barnes coach team. We all know how good of a coach he's been during Tennessee and at Texas, but now we see what Terry does against a top five team. I don't know if it's, a, if it's really an interview. This entire season is a, is a season-long interview. De facto, yeah. For Rodney Terry, for sure. but the next four games after Tennessee too, Jeff, tough. I mean, you have Kansas at Kansas, right? Uh Kansas State, K State, at K State, and and then Baylor on Monday, right? Yep. The next four games, I don't know if it's going to decide Rodney Terry's future, but if he goes to the stretch and goes two and two, three and one, four and zero, you're thinking, okay, maybe Rodney Terry is the guy. And if not, he's probably going to get a head coaching job somewhere else if Texas doesn't have that deep run in March. And during that interview from last night, think about the coaches Rodney Terry's been around, right? Frank Haith, Kelvin Sampson, Chris Beard. Rick Barnes, those are four great coaches to have as your references on your resume. Yeah, I think, too, uh, I don't know, Cam, I mean, I think he could go, Texas could go like one and three during that stretch and still be fine. Yeah. Because at the at the end of the day, when you get to Selection Sunday, depending on how the back half of the conference schedule goes, and I think you can, you can look at Texas conference schedule and say, yeah, it was front-loaded because you're going to get through the first half of conference play having not played Kansas, only playing Baylor once. Uh, you played K-State, but it was on your home floor. You're done with Oklahoma State. You got a really tough one playing Iowa State on the road. You got that out of the way. But, you know, you look at where Texas sits right now. They could, Like I said, they could go one and three during the stretch and, and still be fine, even when you talk about uh, the outlook for a conference championship. Because, honestly, I, there's a chance 12 and six in league play could win you the conference this year. I, I just think that's that's how tough this Big 12 is this year. Do you think Texas fans aren't giving Terry enough credit? Because it feels like if if Chris Beer was the head coach right now and they were tied for first place in the Big 12, Texas fans would be saying, great, this is a good season, we're right on track, a deep run of March is coming up. But because it's Rodney Terry, it's like, ah, well, let's see, we had that bad game against Iowa State, lost to K-State. Do you think it's it's being treated differently? I mean, obviously it's two different circumstances, and yeah. rightfully so, but it feels like Rodney Terry isn't getting enough credit for having – at the team tied atop the Big 12 standings about halfway through the season. I think it's easy at this point to lean on the fact that, oh, well, they're a veteran team. you got a lot of guys that have played a lot of basketball. You thought this team was going to be really good anyway. But, man, you know, I go back to uh, – I think about times where this has happened. I, you know, Arizona had one of these – and granted, neither of these two teams, I, you could argue what the talent was compared to what Texas has now. But I think about Lute Olson towards the end of his time at Arizona had one year where uh, Kevin O'Neill was the interim coach and Arizona that, you know, grossly underachieved from what everybody thought they were going to be. Go back to that 94-95 season at Duke where Coach K, I think, had a back surgery and missed most of the year. And Duke was one of the worst teams in the ACC that year. So when you have – a situation where your coach isn't there, it's really tough to overcome that. When you have a situation where your head coach gets suspended and then fired, that's really those are. There's not a book on how to handle that. You know, there, there's not a manual uh, or anything you can really go back to to see. Okay, how do you deal with this? So I think from that standpoint, Rodney Terry deserves a ton of credit. I I, I feel like. I'm still kind of getting a feel for RT in terms of the way he handles things, in terms of how he manages his timeouts, uh, you know, managing the flow of the game, substitution patterns. I will say this. I think now that you're this far into him coaching the team, I do feel like, and I mentioned this with Chad and Zay yesterday, I feel like guys, especially the guys coming off the bench now, understand their roles now a lot better than they did like during the Rice game and those first couple of games under Rodney Terry, like Christian Bishop looks comfortable. Uh, Arterio Morris kind of understands, seems to understand now the, the kind of minutes he's going to get, the number of minutes he's going to get. Uh, you're getting Brock Cunningham's best basketball right now. Even though even if you look at the stars like Dylan DeSue, I don't know that he'll ever again be kind of that bouncy, explosive guy he was at Vanderbilt. But you look at him in the last few games, Cam, like you're starting to figure out, okay, this is what you're going to get from Dylan DeSue night in and night out. And it's good production. So I just and, and Marcus Carr, it's funny, you know, the time he spent early in the year. Because like if you look at the numbers, as his scoring numbers have gone up, the assist numbers have diminished. It's the opposite for Tyrese Hunter. As the scoring numbers have dropped, his assist numbers are much better than they were at the start of the year. And it seems like the time Marcus Carr spent playing off the ball 
it's almost like it's helped him understand the offense better and it flows so much better now when he's got the ball in his hands. Now, granted, you go face Tennessee on the road, the best defensive team in the country, things are going to be different. But I think I think Marcus Carr is playing really well right now. And for whatever reason, I don't know if it's just when he's playing off the ball, you got to be more in tune with the offense and understand how important it is to do things like screen and move without the ball. But he's just – I think that's a big part of the reason why he's playing better is he just seems to understand – how the offense is supposed to flow much better than he did last year and even better than he did the first part of this year. Yeah, I don't know if he's playing the best basketball of his career, Jeff, but it feels like Marcus Carr is shooting the ball the best he's ever had. It's the the most efficient basketball he's played at Texas. That mid-range jump back or step back jumper, I mean, that's been money the last couple months. It's not just one or two games here. He's had, I mean, going back to the 40-point game, he had two, we said, what, three 20-point games in the last two months, including – uh, one against Texas Tech, where he had a couple clutch shots. Uh, he was great down the stretch against Oklahoma State. Is he playing the best ball that you've seen so far, Jeff? Because uh, I think some of it goes with what you mentioned about Tyrese Hunter, because it felt like Tyrese Hunter was going to be the one controlling the offense. Marcus Carr would be playing off ball, which is what we thought Marcus Carr was yeah. supposed to be. But it, it's changed. It feels like now this is Marcus Carr's team. The offense definitely runs through him, and Tyrese Hunter's kind of to the side right now. But, he, I mean, he's had his own cramping issues. Yeah, I'm not Reese's, sure. Is he Reese's completely health. healthy? Yeah, Reese's health hasn't helped that situation either. Uh, I'll say it's tough. best is one of those relative terms. I will say it's the most consistent ball we've seen Marcus Carr play. Uh, and he's again, he's a guy that kind of understands his role now. I, I, I like the consistency that you're getting from him, not in and out. I think this Cam, I, I haven't looked at a you know synergy or any of the you know the, the sites that track individual statistics from an analytics perspective. As much as they rely on the mid range, I've got a feeling like the analytics community probably hates Marcus Carr and Timmy Allen of late, especially Timmy Allen. Like Timmy, Timmy Allen's game like totally flies in the face of what basketball is supposed to be right now. Uh, it's like all mid-range jumpers and back-to-the-basket stuff, but it works for him. So, And that's another guy, like, getting Timmy Allen involved because last year he was a guy, the offense, he was the focal point of the offense last year. The, everything moved through Timmy Allen. It does it now. It's taking Tim some time to get used to it. Not just Rodney Terry. I think you've got to give – uh, Bob Donawald some credit because he's oversees the offense. You got to give him some credit for how things have gone. So uh, it's Texas and Tennessee coming up tomorrow again, four thirty with the pregame here on the Horn and across the Austin Radio Network. Five o'clock tip from Thompson Bowling Arena with Craig and Eddie on the call. Big thank you to uh, to Craig for getting that audio to us from Longhorn Weekly, uh, courtesy of Learfield uh, at Pluckers West Campus last night. Take a break. Come back when we come back. It's time to dig into a little Texas recruiting. The twenty twenty three cycle will come to an end here in a couple of days, but it's pretty much been done for the Texas Longhorns. We'll wrap it up. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. With Mike Roach, recruiting editor at Horns 24-7. We'll do that when we come back on Light the Tower on the Horn, live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Light the Tower. No time to waste. Uh, Rolling along on a Friday edition of Light the Tower. Let's go ahead and get right into this hour's edition of the Longhorn Notebook. Jeff Howe's Longhorn Notebook. There we go. It's a Longhorn Notebook brought to you by Aaron Bowersock, BowersockTeam.com. She is your home loan expert. Let Aaron do for you what she did for Craig and Linda. They always talk about when they made the move to Georgetown, Aaron made the home loan process so easy for them. Get in touch with her. It's BowersockTeam.com. Aaron Bowersock, she is your home loan expert. Joining us as he does each and every Friday on the Vaqueros Cafe and Cantina Hotline. He is the recruiting editor at Horns 24-7, one of the hardest-working men in the recruiting business and one of the best doing it, the best doing it in the Texas market, the best recruiting coverages at Horns 24-7 with Mike and Hudson Standish. He is our recruiting editor. He is Mike Roach. Mike, good Friday to you, sir. How are you doing? Wonderful. Uh, 
Let's talk about the 2023 cycle, Mike. We had a recruiting rankings, the final rankings update yesterday. Uh, anything from the, the the Texas point of view jump out to you? A couple of five-star guys with Arch Manning finishing at number one, uh, Anthony Hill's in that mix, Cedric Baxter's in that mix, guys all up and down the top 247. Anything jump out to you with the final rankings update? Obviously, the headline of Archer Manning retaining number one. I know a couple of uh, another service at least that moved off of him uh, being number one. So that was kind of the question. And um, in the end, I think our rankings team felt like his floor uh, combined with still his potential for growth was enough to keep him number one. So that's huge. Uh, those guys finishing number one at their position. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperice.com. Of the five-star rankings, you saw Jonte Cook move up into the 30s. I believe he's at 38. Um, and Jelani McDonald moved from 97 to 51. So the swift ascent of Jelani McDonald continued. And, uh, yeah, I think you got to be really excited about this class. Mike, uh, I know anytime we bring you on, we could talk about Arch. But to kind of put a cap on Arch Manning's you know, time as a recruit, because he's already at Texas and, and the recruiting process is long over, you're one of the people in this industry that has actually seen him in person throw the football and compete on the field. What what was your overall takeaway from watching him and, and talking to to Cooper Protector or whoever it is uh, on our rankings council or in the home office when they've seen Arch? How much did what you saw in person kind of jibe with what other people in the network saw? Yeah, Cooper, who's on our national scouting team, and I both saw him multiple times, either in practice or games. Um and, you know, Cooper gave him the player comp of, of Joe Burrow, and I really like that comp more from a um, from a mental aspect. I feel like the thing that separates Joe Burrow is how cool and calm he is on the field at all times, it seems like. And that was my big takeaway from March is just, you know, regardless of the situation, and we saw him in a variety of situations, uh, he never kind of he, – he's kind of always level. Uh, he never really changes up and always stays calm and collected and – I think that that goes a long way at the quarterback position when you're not losing your head all the time. And, uh, you know, that was, that was a big one outside of the physical traits, obviously. I mean, he's number one because of the way he's built, because of the way he can throw the ball. And I think he's also got, you know, it's not a hallmark of the Manning family traditionally, but he's also got some surprising mobility. I think he can, he's definitely not a guy that, that you have to game plan around his legs, uh, but he can extend plays better than, than I think most people think he can. Mike, every year there's, you know, when I was doing what you're doing now, there, there every year there's one guy in the Texas class that you feel like, man, I think we're going to regret not ranking him higher. Uh, Deshaun Elliott was was that guy for me once upon a time, and there's been others. Uh, who's that for you when you look at that final top 247 of our in-house rankings at 24-7 Sports? Who's that one guy that you feel, ah, I think he's a little too low, or, or man, he's – was outside of that top 247 that we might regret not having him in there three, four years down the road? I think Darian Gallette is that guy. And, and a lot of that, I think Darian Gallette would be in there had he played a senior season, had he not been injured. Um, and, and that was the unfortunate part. Coming off of a tremendous track season um, where he ran at the state meet, ran anchor on their 4 by one and 4 by 2 as a linebacker at 6'2", 230 pounds, uh, a tremendous basketball season has led Marlin to a state semifinal appearance. He was the guy that I, I think was primed for a big rise, and unfortunately a knee injury took that away from him. But this is a guy that's already – when I showed up to his signing ceremony on signing day, I expected him to look bad. I mean, he's had a torn ACL. A lot of times when you have that, you can't work out, you get out of shape. He looked phenomenal, and he hadn't been able to even do anything with his lower body at that point talked to somebody near him who said he showed up in Texas in January at around 235. So I think this guy is going to be an edge player who is a, an incredibly versatile and explosive athlete. And uh, I think he could really rise up boards as, as he goes through his college career. 
Mike, kind of off topic a little bit, uh, when you talk about Darren Gallette, I almost feel remiss if I don't mention Jare Bledsoe in the same breath. I heard a lot of good stuff about Jare Bledsoe coming out of bowl practices and late in the year. Felt like he was a guy that was really starting to come along and played you know, sparingly uh, this fall. Do you feel like he's a guy that you know maybe by the end of spring practice was one of those guys that again you know missed some time on the field, but by the end of spring practice maybe he's a guy that people are looking at as kind of one of those those breakout type candidates on the field in twenty three. It's funny you mentioned Bledsoe. At the same signing ceremony for Gillette, I saw Bledsoe there um, and talked to him for a little bit, and he looks to be in phenomenal shape. And it was the first time I'd seen him up close since uh, the year before when I saw him at the Under Armour game where he came in very much out of shape after not playing his senior year. And so, um, you know, he looks phenomenal. Everybody's always loved his upside and his, his, his frame and, and athletic ability. I think he – got on the field probably earlier than I anticipated he would. And, uh, yeah, I think he's definitely a guy that can take that step forward in the spring. Horns 24-7 recruiting editor Mike Roach joining us here on Light the Tower on the Horn. All right, Mike, it's the last weekend of the 2023 recruiting cycle. What is on the table for Texas as we head into National Signing Day on Wednesday? Not a ton. It's uh, it's a fairly uneventful uh, end of the recruiting cycle for us kind of that way last year and I, I gotta say i don't i don't really hate it you know it's uh it's nice not <laughs> right. to be running crazy at the month of january and so you know there's a couple guys left on the board warren roberson the tcu commit uh, from red oak will visit texas this weekend that's kind of been set up in the last week i think if texas makes a very strong push they can get him and then all eyes will be on deuce robinson five-star tight end out of phoenix uh, making his decision on signing day uh, it's going to come down to Texas, Georgia, USC, Alabama, and Oregon. I think Georgia has the lead, but Texas isn't giving up. I think they've got uh, one last in-home with him, and, and we'll kind of see how that goes. Mike, as, as far as Warren Roberson goes, I know he was a guy that Texas had expressed interest in at various points during the cycle. Is this a case of, hey, leave no stone unturned, and if there's kind of one kid out there that's still available, unsigned, that we feel can help us win, you go get him. Is that kind of the mentality from everything you've heard that the Texas staff took that, hey, you know, reg- kind of best best position player available, so to say best left on the board available? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think they looked around and said, oh, wow, Warren Roberson didn't sign with DCU. If he's not signed, we've still got a shot. And um, we're able to get him scheduled for a visit. I think that when you look at it, he's a guy that has a lot of athleticism, plays on both sides of the ball, has the frame you want in the secondary, can play corner or safety. And, uh, you know, they didn't load up on huge numbers in the secondary this year. I think part of that was by design because they took a smaller class, or I'm sorry, a bigger class last year. But I think also part of it was when they missed out on some primary targets, they weren't just going to take guys that they didn't feel – uh, could be a legit fit, and I do think they think that uh, Roberson can be a legit fit. So, um, yeah, I think it's a case of just trying to maximize what you've got left in this class. Mike, I, I know it would be easy to say when this thing gets put to bed for good on Wednesday and everybody officially turns the page to the 2024 cycle, the big takeaway from 23, it's for a lot of people, it's going to be arch and then everything else. Is that how you're going to remember this 2023 cycle for Texas, or is it something else? Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really hard not to focus on Arch in this class. I mean, the centerpiece of it is what they built around. But for me, I think the important thing to, to focus on in this class is what they've done defensively, especially at the linebacker and edge positions, uh, such big positions to need. I can't say enough about the job Jeff Choate did this year, recruiting the linebacker position, getting a guy like Anthony Hill, who I would say is almost as important to this class as Arch. Um and, and and getting some of the edge talent that got to help remedy that that pass rush situation. Mike, I know you were bird dogging the uh, high school relations director job, which is now going to Jamal Finner, the now former LBJ head coach. I know everybody in the Austin area, including us at the station, that have gotten to know Coach Finner. Everybody's excited uh, for him to have this opportunity. Uh, what was your take, Mike, just overall on, on Sark's search for Chris Gilbert's replacement, and then uh, ending up with Jamal Finner as the as the pick? It's really hard to replace Chris Gilbert. He's kind of a one-of-one to me. And so, 
you know, I, I think at times during the search, they may have looked at it like, let's find another Chris Gilbert. And I think they kind of realized there are no more guys like him out there. So let's go find the best fit. And, uh, you know, a lot was put on, let's find a guy with experience in Dallas. And, hey, as a guy who lives in Dallas and has a lot of connections to those coaches, I wouldn't have minded it. But um, in the end, I think if you get a guy who is a relationship-driven person like Coach Fenner is, from what I've heard, um, you know, he can kind of translate to any area. I think a lot of times we, and, I, and I, I'm guilty of this as well, you know, put a lot of emphasis on, well, we got to get a guy from this area or that area. But in the end, I mean, recruiting is all about relationships. It's all about being able to communicate with, with prospects, relate to their families. And I think if a guy can do that, it doesn't matter where he's from. I, I actually really like the hire. Would you say the same thing, Mike, about Chris Jackson as the receivers coach? You know, I mean, it's one of those deals. Sometimes people say, hey, uh, you know, no credit's worse than having bad credit. It's, it's, uh, there's just no track record of Chris Jackson recruiting at the college level. But uh, what do you think overall about that, that wide receivers coaching hire? Again, hard to replace the, the kind of dynamic recruiter Brennan Marion was. But, again, it, it all boils down to relationships and if, if Chris Jackson can form those on the trail. Yeah, he's just a total unknown at this point. I can't say whether it's good or bad because we don't. he doesn't have a track record of recruiting. And I, I think a lot of times people say, well, you know, I'd rather have a good coach than a recruiter. And I don't think you have to pigeonhole yourself. I think you can get both in a lot of cases. So um, I'm definitely interested to see what the early feedback is on him. Obviously, the NFL experience gives him a, a little bit of a boost. And, um, you know, we'll just kind of see how it translates. You can get him on Twitter at Mike Roach247. Get the State of Recruiting podcast. If you are a Longhorn Blitz podcast subscriber, you know you get the State of Recruiting whenever it drops. If you're not, search Horns 24-7 anywhere you get your podcasts. Hit that follow button to get every episode of the State of Recruiting when it drops. And you can always find Mike's work at Horns247.com. Best recruiting coverage in the Texas market with Hudson Standish and our recruiting editor. He is Mike Roach. Mike, thanks as always for the time, man. We'll do it again next week as we uh, officially turn the page to 2024. All right. Talk to you next week. There we go. Mike Roach, recruiting editor at Horns 24-7. Actually, you know what? I need to double check with Mike for next week because I don't know. I don't remember if he's planning on going on vacation or not right after the uh, the recruiting cycle's over, which he usually does take some time off, well-deserved time off, Mike takes. Cam, you got any, before we move on uh, and hit the break, any thoughts on, on this recruiting class? Is it is it kind of arch and then everything else for you? I think it's everything but Arch, to be honest with you. This really? has been such a great class for Sark and, and the coaching staff to build the roster all around because we've seen so many glaring holes left from, to be honest, the end of the Mac Brown era, the the Charlie Strong era, even bits and pieces of the Tom Herman era. I mean, this is a great edge-rushing class for Texas, yep. and I think that's going to help build defense. It's been a good secondary class, and all around, I mean, still going off of last year's offensive line class, you see how that helps the classes going forward curious though uh i saw anthony hill i don't want to name the recruiting service because i don't want to get in a in a war here or no, what go i can't for it, say go for it. It i matter. think it was espn anthony hill was number the number eight linebacker was that correct uh i'd have to look uh he's still a five star in the composite so whatever it was it didn't drop him down that much yeah, he's uh, the number two ranked linebacker in the country in the composite. I'm sorry, it was uh, on three has Anthony Hill as the number six linebacker nationally. Yeah, in the composite, he's still number two, and honestly, for us at, at 24/7 Sports, he's the number one off-ball linebacker in the country. So, did it didn't hurt him too much? Didn't hurt him hardly at all in the composite. So, and Arch Manning's still number one. So all the uh, Arch haters can uh, can drink the tears. But you know how that goes, Cam. Like. Whatever fan base, whatever school Arch committed to and signed with, that fan base was going to be over the moon that he's their guy. And whichever schools he snubbed, and you look at the hate on Arch, Georgia fans, the LSU fans, the Alabama fans, oh, he's overrated, three-star talent, five-star name, blah, 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 blah. We all see the deal. Look, it's, that's just how it was expected. I mean, the kid, the kid can play in the one thing that just annoys me to no end about Arch, well, I mean, he didn't go to Elite 11. He didn't go to the Under Armour game. 
Dude, when has when has winning Elite Eleven ever guaranteed you anything, or performing so well in Elite Eleven ever guaranteed you anything? I, I can go pull up, and I love Trent Dilfer. I can go pull up stuff that Trent Dilfer and the camp counselor said about Gerard Hurd being a Heisman type talent at quarterback from Elite Eleven. I think the year he was at Elite Eleven, Garrett Gilbert was voted like most likely to win a national championship. So, and I'm not knocking, banging on the bagging on those two guys, but it just shows you, man. Uh, Elite Eleven is a very, very small piece of the quarterback evaluation process. It doesn't guarantee you anything one way or the other. So, but like, you know, Mike had eyes on Arch, Cooper Protagna, and there were plenty of guys in our network that had eyes on Arch at various times. And uh, our guys wouldn't put their reputation on ranking Arch number one if they were just doing it just for, for farts and giggles, for lack of a better term. There was there was some thought put into it. Is there any comparison to the level of reaction that Arch Manning has generated to past recruits spanning any any sport I'm trying to think but maybe Zion Williamson was the most hyped up recruit where people don't really even follow recruiting got into his mm. recruitment at Duke because I can't think of really a football player where I'm getting notifications from Bleacher Report talking about his Instagram post his LinkedIn post mm. I'd have to think about that hmm you know, uh, I mean, right now it's probably Bronny James because Bronny is getting a lot of. I mean, you probably saw the report yesterday of high school or college coaches yeah. complaining about not being able to get in touch with him directly and having to go through uh, Mama James. But yeah, Le- LeBron, LeBron was like that. Uh, Bryce Harper was like that. I don't know different sport from a football standpoint. Oof. Uh, Maybe it's just social media has also yeah, kind of just generated this. I, like I said, I, I would say Bryce Harper and LeBron because lo, social media wasn't around when LeBron was a high school prospect and Bryce Harper was just at the start of it. But, yeah, and somebody on the text line says Chris Sims. Uh, but, yeah, that was way before social media. So, uh, yeah, Arch is in rare company for sure. I'd have, to, I'd have to rack my brain and really think about it. Like from a basketball standpoint, um. Yeah, because it wouldn't be like Kevin Durant or, or Greg Oden and Derrick Rose. There's been some good ones, but that that had that much gravitas. Probably, probably, I'd say, I'd say probably would be Zion. Maybe Anthony Davis before that. That, but that entire he was such a late bloomer though. Like, so good. like Zion, Zion went viral really early yeah. in his recruitment. So yeah, probably. probably. He was a, he was a freshman at Spartanburg with the, with the dunks already. I mean, I remember. They were showing that highlight of him dunking from freshman year of high school. I felt like for six years before he finally was eligible to play college basketball. We knew yeah. Zion's name before Zion even was a senior in high school. Uh, you know, some guys that were attached to LeBron as, as big-time high school prospects around that time, you see it more in basketball. Like Sebastian, I remember Sebastian Telfair being on oh, the yeah. cover of Slam Magazine. Uh, O.J. Mayo was another one of those guys. I think Bill Walker was another one of those guys. Uh and I'm thinking about like Jabari Parker was one of those guys. Andrew Wiggins for sure. Yeah. So there's it's it's more common in basketball, like to a lesser extent baseball. Like the one that really really comes to mind in baseball was uh, was Bryce Harper. Yeah. From a young age. So uh, anyway, we'll take your feedback on the Specs text line. Texas recruiting, you know, phenoms. However you want to uh, address it, we'll get you on the Specs text line. But coming up next. It's time to get flaccid. Go to the most flaccid state in the lower 48. Grab that low-hanging fruit from the state of Florida on a Friday. An inconceivable. Coming up next on Light the Tower. On the Horn, live, local, and digital. On the Horn app and at hornfm.com. Inconceivable. 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 You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> All right, Cam, we got three from the state of Florida. I'm going to give you producer's choice on this, which one you want to go first. Would you like to go a man getting revenge against his HOA? <laughs> a man sentenced to jail for punching a dog? No. Or a, maybe the most angry non-lottery winner ever? Let's go the latter. All right. How about this? Florida man Steven Munoz Espinosa struck gold, winning $1 million on a lottery ticket after a rude stranger cut in front of him at a Florida grocery store. Munoz Espinosa, exhausted following a day of work, was looking to buy a lottery ticket when he was cut in line at the ticket machine. 
43-year-old, avoiding a confrontation confrontation with his fellow lottery hopeful, opted to buy his ticket at a counter inside of a Publix. There's a Publix in Delray Beach. Quote, it was at the end of a long day and I was tired, Espinosa said. Munoz Espinosa purchased his $50 ticket for a 500 times the cash game in which the top prize was $25 million. He chose the one-time lump sum payday, which totaled $828,000. I can't believe I won a million dollars, he said. How about that? Cut in front of the that, That's the ultimate karma. You cut in line. First of all, if you're going to cut in front of somebody in line at the grocery store or cut in, front of, cut in line anywhere, you're just a flawed person at that point. Are you the type of person, Jeff, that like if someone cuts you, like you'll call them out immediately or you just let it go? Depending on your mood, I'm guessing. Dep- dep- depends. Totally situation dependent. Yeah. Right. Um, if you're cutting in front of me with like, like at the grocery store, if you're cutting in front of me with like just a cart stacked a mile high with stuff, I'll probably say something at that point. But uh, honestly, man, like if I've got a cart full of groceries, like a regular grocery trip, uh, and I see somebody behind me and they've got like, you know, maybe they thought they were borderline on the 10 items, so they want to get in the regular checkout. I'll let that person go in front of me. Like, it's, that's no big deal. See, like, I think you could scare a lot of people off from cutting you. Like, I wouldn't want to cut you in line. I'd be afraid to get knocked out. The thing that the thing that aggravates me most is, like, the people that try to drive fast to get in front of, like, a drive through line before you. Like, at the Chick-fil-A or whatever. Like, when you like pull you, in the you same pull, time. You're pulling up. You're just casually taking your time, and then you see somebody... Going Vin Diesel style through the parking lot, trying to whip it in there. Yeah, that that annoys me. What's the dog one? That, this right. one sounds sad. Yeah, well, uh, let me see. Hold on. Yeah, we'll finish on a high. The other one will finish this on a high note. Um, Dayline, Lee County, Florida. The man who repeatedly punched his dog has been sentenced to 36 months behind bars. This Good. is the kind of dude, uh, and this guy is like, He's Florida Man Central casting, like face tattoos, the whole the whole bit. Back in March 2022, the Lee County Sheriff's Office said Marcus Shittister, Shittister, 23, I want to say Shittister, I want to make sure people understand I'm saying that right. Don't be calling the FCC. Age 23, uh, was caught outside of a racetrack gas station, repeatedly punching his dog with a closed fist before closing the door and walking inside. The Sheriff's Office sent, uh, said its Animal Cruelty Task Force Began investigating and learned Shinister injured the dog named Sheba. The sheriff's office and the U.S. Marshals Regional Fugitive Task Force were able to find and arrest him on a charge of felony animal cruelty. You know you did something really bad in the animal cruelty realm if the U.S. Marshals are on your tail. Uh, After the arrest, the ACTF worked to file an emergency petition in an effort to remove Sheba from his custody in May of 2022. The petition was granted, and Shittister officially lost custody of Sheba on Tuesday, January 24th. Shittister was sentenced to 36 months at the Department of Corrections and 24 months of state probation. The sheriff's office also said he must complete an anger management program, psychiatric evaluation, and the best part of all, Cam, may never possess or own a dog again. He is legally banned from ever owning an animal again. Props to you, Florida, for doing the right thing. This is the kind of person, Cam, where we would get the cauldron ready. That's the kind of person that the only purpose they would serve society is to be boiled in oil and have their fat sold for soap. If you have the U.S. Marshals on your butt, then you've done something really wrong. All right. Cam, have you ever lived anywhere where you've had to deal with an HOA? No, fortunately not. All right. Um, Unless you count my my neighbor, who's also my aunt. <laughs> Shout out to a, well, that's a different kind of HOA. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's the I'm gonna call your mom if uh, you know the garbage isn't taken out or whatever. Uh, is that on your mom's side or your dad's side? It's on my dad's side. Okay, well, I'm gonna call your dad if the garbage isn't taken yeah. out or if you're messing around. Did you ever get you ever get one of those messages like Aunt So and So called and said you were acting a fool? Oh yeah, yeah, it's rough. I get it from the radio show. I heard I heard Cameron said this on the radio show. I didn't know he even knew I was on the radio. By the way, do you know your Parker. dad posts on the message board at Hornets 24-7? Oh, no. Does he? Well, yeah. I wouldn't have known it was your dad, except it was in a thread talking about our producer situation. And he's like, yeah, Cameron's my son. I'm like, 
Probably just wouldn't have told everybody that, but okay, to, to each their own. Nice. So, yeah, tell, make sure you tell Pops thanks. For now the, i got to monitor what he's posting on there. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll get you access to his account okay. if you need it to make sure he's not acting a fool on there. Uh, but no, shout out to my former abode in Buda, uh, Shadow Creek, Mike Fuller and the folks with the HOA over there. Phenomenal people. But I've heard an HOA nightmares. Well, a Central Florida man is accused of intentionally setting his own apartment on fire because he was upset with his homeowners association, leading to an explosion in injuries with injuries and damages, according to an affidavit for an arrest warrant. According to the affidavit, Mark Herman, age 53, told a paramedic who was treating him that he, quote, started the fire in an act of revenge against the homeowners association in charge of his property. Kim, I don't know if I've ever seen anybody that mad that they would burn down their own house, but... Your HOA must have been issuing some kind of just foolish tickets or something for you to want to burn your own apartment down. Take this, HOA. Now I can't live at my house anymore. Yeah. You're, you're the only one. Really <laughs> stuck it to him. You're the only one suffering there, bud. I'm sleeping in my car now. This is kind of like the time that uh, I've told the story before, and after Bucky's baked potato story, mine doesn't sound too bad. Shout out to everybody that got to hear the baked potato story this morning. I lived in an apartment in college where one of my roommates was moving out. It was a it was a four-bed, two-bath camp. So if you can imagine, like, living room and then one hallway, two bedrooms and a bath, the other hallway, two bedrooms and a bath. So it's me and my buddy Chris are on one hallway, and uh, my buddy Jake and our other roommate Tyler are on another hallway. Well, Jake was moving out, and Tyler decided for some reason that to pay Jake back, he was going to upper-decker the <laughs> toilet on that hallway <laughs> and we paid no mind to it because we're like who in their right mind would upper decker their own toilet well tyler did he's like hey i upper decker the toilet can you imagine we're like a couple things one jake already moved out so i don't know what purpose that served and two no you cannot use our toilet you're gonna have to fish that out of there that's some bad is he it was tyler from florida as well is he a florida no, man tyler was just from Gerald. Tyler, uh, he might as well have been. He's a little off kilter. Cam, what kind of guy you know would upper decker their own toilet? None. I don't know anyone exactly. that's even tried that. Exactly. Do you know any? Do you know anybody who has performed an upper decker in their life? No, I don't actually. All right, I know more than one person that's performed an upper decker, but I have not, by the way. But yeah, you upper decker your own doo doo hut, then I don't know, man. Something, something ain't right. Upstairs. Can I contribute to Flaccid Friday real quick? Sure. Another great Florida story. Florida woman rescued from storm drain for third time in less than Dude, two I, years. I saw this, man. I saw this, and I couldn't find it because these other ones were so good. But, yeah, go ahead and finish this one. Delray so, Beach. So the third time in how long? Two years. Two years. Okay. Delray Beach Police Department said officers and firefighters responded to a report of a woman possibly in distress while swimming in a canal on Wednesday the woman, her name, last name Kennedy, reportedly ignored the police officers and climbed into a storm drain pipe. Delray police said she refused to come out and began crawling further into the storm drain. Uh, apparently, she participated in a Bible study earlier in the day, studied the prophet Elijah who went on a journey and wanted to go on a journey of herself. She lived off an unopened can of ginger ale in the storm drain. Lived off an unopened can of ginger ale. And then the storm drain. Third time in two years. <laughs> to ban somebody from storm drains, I guess. <laughs> is there anything else to that one? Or no, just... just let's just go ahead and move on from that. <laughs> All right, there it is. A Florida Friday. I like the tower. Hour number one in the book. Hour number two coming up next here on the Horn. Live, local, and digital on the Horn app and at hornfm.com.